Welcome to the Bridging the Generation podcast. I'm your host, Malak Arif, and today I got another special treat for y'all. My next guest is a four-time Grammy nominee. She's a 1970 Tony Award winner. She's a member of the 2014 Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame hit records galore. I'm talking about uh, number one, such as uh, Just a Little Bit More, Fallen, uh, other classic cuts like You Stepped Into My Life, you know, this is it. Uh, lift every voice and sing. I'm talking about the list goes on and on. She's also had a very successful career on the stage and in the filming industry. She's a philanthropist. She's an entrepreneur. She's a trailblazer for women and people of color. And with all that said, it's an honor to introduce the one, the only Mrs. Melba Moore. Let's go. <laughs> to the Bridging Generation podcast, Mrs. Melba Moore. How you doing today? Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. No doubt. No doubt. Well, we here at Bridging the Generation podcast, we do things a little differently. Okay. You know, we, we don't, we're not here for gossip and sensationalism and things of that nature. I have you here and we have you here because of your accomplishments and what you, what you mean to us as far as a people, as far as a nation, and as far as music lovers. Thank you, thank you. So, uh, with all that said, I had to get this off my chest, uh, Melba, mm -hmm. uh, but I've been listening to The Long and Winding Road and Falling for like the <laughs> past three days. Oh. And I, I, me and my, me and my uh, partner, me and, we've been arguing about who can hold the longest note. <laughs> and talk to me about those two songs because Melba, that's unbelievable. Well, thank you. Well, what do, what do you want to know about the two? The long, the long and winding road, of course, is um, originally by the Beatles. By the Beatles, yeah. And what's the other one that you mentioned? Oh, uh, falling, falling. Okay, well, that was written especially for me by Gene McFadden and John Whitehead, and uh, they really kind of helped me develop my singing style for recordings because it was like, for instance, when I I was the first black of lady to play the role of Fontaine in Les Miserables. Mm. And it's, it's theater, it's Broadway, and it's about the French Revolution. So the gentleman who cast me in it had seen me in Pearly. And he didn't know I sang classical musical music too. Okay. So he, he reminded me quite often, this is not R&B. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> so... That's a, I had I had to ask because I mean outside of I say Marvin Jr. I don't know any you know any other vocalist that can hold a, maybe Ollie Ollie Woodson I, he's pretty I love him too. Oh but. yeah, well I, I guess the, the note was uh, just part of my trying to develop a definitive singing style and and expressing myself and the, the notes. I mean I, I used to run, I jogged, I swam, I did everything right. to get to get the stamina and the strength. 
And one time, you know, you know how you do ad libs and stuff, and sometimes mm -hmm. something just kind of pops out there. And one no day, I breathed real hard and hit one of those notes, and I, it, it held so long. And I had, I didn't wasn't always able to do that, so it came. So when it came, I was kind of surprised, and I took a deep breath and hit it some right in the right place and everything, and I was just holding it. <laughs> And I was holding it, and I was holding it. <laughs> I was holding it. <laughs> and I said, oh my God, that's me. <laughs> it, because it sounded like it was coming from across the room. Wow. The, the very first time that I heard it. And then I felt, oh my goodness. I wonder, could I do that again? So <laughs> I started experimenting and um, seeing where it would fit and what, what, what was I expressing? Mm -hmm. So it, I, I know I was, was expressing in Long Winding Road um, desperation and, and sadness and hardship, you know, and um, mm. it's been a long, terrible, lonesome road. And I'm, you know how black people, we like to scream about things. I know that's right. Why didn't scream a hell of a note? <laughs> <laughs> I swear, man, I, I swear that's one of my favorite moments in your musical career when you when you, you do that on a, few, a couple of other songs but that those two in particular just really stands out to me well i recall on falling it had a different expression it meant like kind of i had reached a higher place like it, on the way to heaven and you just kind of floating Oh my goodness, Miss Moore! Whoa! See, forever, it a, forevermore. <laughs> forevermore. It, had a, it had a different meaning, but it's, yeah. been, a, it's been an experiment I've been discovering. Yeah. That, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I, like I said, we do things a little differently around here. We we <laughs> I, I want I want to talk about this music, so let's let's go back. You're okay. originally from Harlem, New York. Uh, your mother was a singer, your, and your stepfather, I believe, was a jazz pianist. So talk about your upbringing a little bit and, and, and what led you to start singing. Okay, well, <clears throat> my stepfather was a piano player. He had a son and a daughter. So when he married my mother, I now had a whole family, which I never had before. Okay. And uh, before, my mother was a single parent. My, my natural father was a famous band leader by the name of Teddy Hill. And okay. so now looking back, I can see it was in my DNA, it was in, it was in my genes. But in the, the first 10 years of my life, there was no music in my house except, you know, what normal people listen to on the radio. No way. Yeah. And um, my, my grandma was an invalid and she had had strokes, so she didn't speak. So mm. I didn't have any siblings, so I really didn't have a family. I, you know how you interrelate and you get things from each other and you, right, right, right. You, your personality is developed that way. But mm. I was, I, I was raised by a, uh, a nanny whom mm -hmm. my, my mother hired to take care of me and my grandmother, but she was from the backwoods of uh, North Carolina and she was a, a sharecropper. In other words, mm. she was an orphan. She never learned to read or write. She was a ch cotton chopper. <laughs> Sharecropper. Yeah. <laughs> I get so, it. So she she didn't have parents. Like she didn't didn't even belong to anybody that even owned their own farm. And that's what a sharecropper is. They don't even own their own farms. 
So that's who I was raised by. Okay. So to say the least, there was no music in my family. I would have had no idea. I know. That's why I'm telling I you. I would I would have thought you you was the you, you you were the one that was you know listening to music singing talent shows at five years old. No, late bloomer, late, late starter. But when my mother married my stepfather, he made us all take piano lessons. Okay. Plus, he and my mother performed together. They had first had a duo, then they add, added a bass, drum, and guitar to it, so they had a combo, mm. and they would rehearse in the home. So I went from no music. No, no parents. <laughs> yeah. To now, music is the centerpiece of our lives. They rehearsed in the home. We once I started to take piano, I used to fight with my stepbrother over who was going to practice on the piano. We got, you know, like just totally engrossed in music. Mm. Now, of course, it's, it's in my genes, but now it's the whole. It is the whole environment. No doubt. And so. I, I thought I was going to be, be the next like Horace Silver or something like that, you know, because it was <laughs> it was a time of modern jazz. I mm. mean, we grew up on people like Miles Davis. Miles Davis, John Coltrane. Oh, my God. Yeah. When you say, when you, don't nobody play on no saxophone like that. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. intimately acquainted with that, like, my parents were friends with people like Carmen McRae and Sarah Vaughan, because by that time, I moved to Newark, New Jersey. Okay. So it was our whole surrounding. Sometimes we traveled with them on the road when they went to perform. Um, actually, when we were old enough, we did some background work for my mother on her records. Okay. So it was just totally, to totally, totally engrossed. And uh, um, by the time um, I went to junior high school and, and elementary school in Newark, and mm -hmm. you got involved with chorus and, and uh, uh uh, say in junior high school, you had talent shows and things like that. It was then that I discovered that I had a voice. So that's really late for because you're the instrument. Usually, you're born with that. Exactly. You, even at five years old, you, if you can carry a tune, it still has some sweetness, and you kind of know something. But mm -hmm. I was already in junior high school, and then you're like in my family, we all sang for fun and everything. But it was not like, oh my God, you have this great voice. No, everybody mm -hmm. said you. Everybody said you will never sing as good as your mother. <laughs> That's what they wow, said. your mother was that great of a singer, huh? Well, they had fans and they were professional, and yeah, yeah she was good. Yeah, yeah. So, nah. so it was. It's not like all of a sudden you stand out and you know that you have this special gift. Now we we were nurtured and cared for, but. Actually, um, my parents discouraged my brother and my, my, my brother became a wonderful piano player and uh, also a teacher of music on the college level. Okay. But he's, he's passed away. But they really didn't discourage us from becoming professionals. They wanted us to be educated and educators. They encouraged us to be school teachers because they said that was a secure financially. We, we want you to be secure, you know, because we would be the first people in our, our, our families to get a college education. And that, that kind of historical thing that most black, black people are familiar with in, you know, okay. uh, if we're American. Well, no anywhere on the globe. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, so, <laughs> so look, you know, a lot of us know you professionally as the, I don't know uh, how you feel about this title, the D, you, you know, you're one of the, the, the divas on the Mount Rushmore of, 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 of uh, black, uh, amazing vocalist, you, Patty, oh, you oh know, Glennis Knight, no, you're, you're, you're up there with them. So that's what we know you as. Um, I am, I am so <laughs> flattered. 
No, that's I that's, am so flat. That's, that's pretty much the general consensus. <laughs> and and as, I can just say thank you. I'm grateful. I love doing this. I've tried my best, but there was yeah. never, I mean, it's an experiment. There's never any guarantee. As great as they are, there's no guarantee for anybody. So I'm very, 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 very <laughs> grateful. No doubt. No doubt. So look, that's what we love you. That's, that's how we come to, to love you. That's how we come to know you. But a lot of us sometimes forget that you have a very, uh, uh, a very uh, uh, successful uh, acting career. And, you know, before you actually put out your first project in 1970, you did a stage play. So talk about that stage play. What got you into acting? And um, just talk about that experience a little bit. Okay, sure. Well, <clears throat> actually, my first um, stage play, my second stage play was in 1970. So I started a little bit earlier. But in studio work, um, I, I taught school for a couple of years uh, in the public schools of Newark, New Jersey. I taught vocal music. And I told my dad, I said, well, I, I know you want me to have a real job, but this ain't my dream. <laughs> <laughs> this is your dream, dad. Yeah. So, so would you teach, take me around to some of your colleagues and see if you can help me to get some work as a performer? And if it doesn't work out, then I'll, I'll come back and teach school. And he did. And one of the first people I met was Valerie Simpson. Oh, from Ashford and Simpson. Right, Ooh. right, right. We were in somebody's office. I don't, I don't remember who it was now, but we exchanged, we started talking, we exchanged um, phone numbers and she got me involved with studio work so that I, I began to sing uh, backup for all, all of the, uh, um, you know, iconic singers of the time in the, the late 60s. And um, one of the recording sessions was for a gentleman by the name of um, Galt McDermott. He wrote the music for the Broadway music Hair. And he was a keyboardist and he was being accompanied by um, the, the two young men that had written the, the, the book and the lyrics for all of the songs in the show. And so um, the, the date was about two weeks long because he was doing all the music that he had written for the Broadway musical Hair. But they were still casting for it. So they invited everybody that was on the date to come and sing for the director and the producer okay. of uh, uh, the Broadway musical Hair. I did, and I got into the show, and that's how I got my first Broadway music. But that was like 1969, mm. 1968. So it was before I was on the map. But while I was in that, um, the female lead left, and they kept... Um, replacing it with, with somebody that didn't last. And so one of the black girls in the show, by the way, let me tell you a little bit about the Broadway show here. Yeah, it's I was just about to ask. I was about to say, because that, that, that is a legendary okay. moment in right. not just stage in, in, in stage history, but even in somatic, because it later became a movie. Yes. Yeah, so, so talk about that a little bit. All right, well, first of all, they broke all the rules. For an example. <laughs> Boy, did it. <laughs> Um, it was probably the first Broadway show that had a nude scene. Uh, I, I, I say it, it's, it's out there, but continue, <laughs> continue. Uh, um, we did, it was a series of vignettes and little sketches. It wasn't like a whole play that just ran right. from, from A to Z. Mm -hmm. And to, to get strung together, it gave an anti-war 
um, stop race, stop race, racism. Uh, let's love one another. Um, that was the basic message. But uh, to tell you a little bit about how unusual it was, a black female uh, played Abraham Lincoln. She said, Fosco in seven <laughs> years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, my, my headphones. It's fell. okay. It's <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I remember watching that scene and like, what is this? This is this is, this is crazy. This is crazy. To give you an example of how I started out my Broadway theatrical career. Yeah. Uh, the the um the the part that I was hired to be a part of was a feature in a parody on the Supremes, where <clears throat> instead of singing one of the Supremes hits, mm -hmm. we sang a song called "White Boys Are So Pretty." <laughs> oh, no, I gotta stop you! I gotta, I gotta stop you, Vince Moore. That that was the question I've been holding. I had to talk about the mute because I think it was maybe like a year ago and I just said play music by Mabel Melville Moore on my Alexa, you know, the little the little music called the place music. So that was the first song I said, hold on. I said, you know, hold on. When did Melville Moore sing this? Like, I don't, cause I just saw uh, hair like maybe eight months ago for the first well, time. Also, it was, it was a play, it was a Broadway play. Black people yeah. didn't go to, go to Broadway. That's, that's facts. That's facts. That show was about uh, hippies. Yeah, yeah. Which are white. Which, by the way, <laughs> on the recording session, one of the uh, uh, book writers, after it was finished, mm -hmm. he, he came up to me. Well, first of all, let me tell you what he looked like. He had on a T-shirt that looked like his mother forgot to tell him to separate <laughs> the colors from the whites in the, in the laundry. A tie-dye shirt. <laughs> Go ahead. He didn't have on no shoes, and he was in New York City in a recording studio. Whew. He had these faded out jeans, which I had never seen before. And uh, on, on his left uh, butt cheek was a big rip, so his booty was hanging out. How did you see? I was just about to ask uh, Melba, how the heck you seen his butt? <laughs> it was out there. Yeah. So this one, oh, let me tell you about his hair. His hair was red. He had, it was a redhead, natural redhead, yeah. but it was bushy, like a, like a uh, like an afro. But it wasn't. It was like curly. Yeah. So his, it, he looked like his fingers were stuck in the live plug. He was like they were going. <laughs> boing, 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 boing. So uh, but, excuse me. <laughs> let me try to be professional. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> So me and Valerie and the rest of the, the singers were a little bit apprehensive of them. And I know one of the songs we were singing, we, were, we read music, you know, I taught music. Mm -hmm. I was reading music and it said, glitty, gluck, gloopy, nibby, nabby, noopy, lee. I said, what the heck is this? What kind of, what is this? Well, anyway, this one that I'm just telling you about, he walks up to me. And my, I have no background in hair or theater, in theater, I should say. Did you so he, know of did you know of the you know of the screen of uh, of the stage play here? Probably. No, oh, I, oh, I didn't I didn't know about any theater. Oh, okay. So I'm telling describing to you, I still remember what they looked like because they were shocking to me. 
So this is one that looks like boy, oi, oi, oi. He walks up to me and he asks me, do I want to do hair? And you think it probably like, you want me to do some, do your hair? Like I, I said, excuse me? <laughs> I do not have a Bachelor of Arts degree in music to do nobody's hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I probably freaked him out just as bad as he freaked me out. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Okay, then he explained to me that it was going to be a Broadway musical. Okay. I'm saying all this to you. This is how I got my first Broadway show. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, I taught music and everything, and I didn't really do it professionally right. yet. So that was my first professional experience. But while I was in in the show, one of the girls told me about auditions for my second Broadway show. She said, "No, you didn't really audition for this. They heard you sing on that, and so you don't know how to go up and and be typecast, and you know." You don't, you don't even know stage left from stage right yet. Right. <laughs> so why don't you use this opportunity to start learning how to audition? So she told me for, uh, about auditions for Pearlie. And she told me that I had to be like what you call typecast. Okay. So I said, I said, well, what's that? <laughs> she says, what you do is you find out about the character as well as, uh, you know, who's casting it and the, the, the company and everything. And you try to see if you can look a little bit about like it, like the character, so they can get an idea if you'd be right, more of an idea. Right. So, so um, I, I was telling you that the, the lady that raised me was, was a cotton chopper. Mm. So it, it was easy for, for me to be country. <laughs> you, could, you could turn it, turn it on and off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's really how I, I got the role because the, the, I, I didn't study acting, but I was raised by a person that did that. And I always praise God for her. Now that they, and, and all the opportunities that have happened that gave me a chance to just pick out and be myself without really no, knowing how you go about doing this. Mm. And yeah. I like to tell the story because I know if it could happen for me, it could happen for anybody. I, I think can, it's yeah. it's very inspiring. You don't have to be you know, <laughs> skilled, you know, right, right. You, you might be skilled and don't know it. <laughs> everybody, they say everybody has some type of uh, talent. You might, yeah. You know, so, so, but I, I was just about to ask you, what did you think about that, that song? But you pretty much told me how you felt about it. But, you know, like, what we talking 1967, that's about 54 years or something like that. Now, 54 years later, how do you feel about that, that song and that, uh, the, the impact of the, the stage play and the movie hair has been as far as, uh, uh, you know, pop culture. I am so amazed and so thrilled to have been on the cusp of, was, of what people were doing to make things evident in right. American culture and theater. And I mean, like, I remember for the first time I wore an Afro uh, because like as a school teacher, it, basically I was required to straighten my hair. Mm. And it took white people to let me have an afro. <laughs> <laughs> you had a beautiful afro too, Melba. I swear. <laughs> I'm looking at the. Uh, I think it's the This Is It album on that cover. Yeah, yeah. Man, you look, you look drop dead gorgeous. Thank you, thank you. But I guess to answer your question though, um, the the music came afterwards because what happened after Pearly, 
I got the Tony Award. I, I got to do all kinds of major television. I got a recording contract as a lead performer. Mm. And then I started to make recordings. And then so that happened after 1970. That was your question. I know I came a long way, but it happened so uniquely. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. So, so originally you were signed to uh, Mer Mercury Records. You know, like you said, you right, won the right. Tony Award. You won the work. Um, you end up signing with Mercury Records, but also at the same time, you released like you was also in three other uh, uh, films, um, films and stage play. You know, you did Pearly. So, talk about that and how was it working with uh, the uh, actors Robert? Uh, I always mess his name up, Robert. Robert Guillaume or he all his yeah Robert always mess his name up for some reason I, I have a problem pronouncing well, <laughs> what we did um by by that time I I was married we had a, a a management company and we convinced Philip Rose who had um, directed and produced the Broadway show Pearly to do a uh, a video version of it so I reprised my character Cleavon Little played um, Pearly on. In the and, theater. And Sherman Hemsley, he was in that as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in both versions. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Novella Nelson played the original Missy, but um, Clarice Taylor, I think, played, no, Clarice played Idella, the other uh, character. Uh, Carol was her first name. I can't remember the, the young lady's name who played the, char the, the character of Aunt Missy in mm -hmm. the uh, video film, but that was a, the, the a reprise of, of Pearlie. But okay. the uh, I think the other film that you might be talking about is The Fighting Temptations. I don't know. No, no, you was also you no. had like a minor role in Cotton Comes to Harlem, like a small oh. part, and then yeah. So you was yeah. you know, you, like you did you know Pearly, you did Cotton Comes to Harlem, had a little small role in it, but um, you know at the same time you released your debut project. So how was it? You know, just coming off of winning a Tony, you know, a, a year prior, and now you're you're acting and you know you you on a, you have a recording contract now. Oh, okay. Also, my own TV show with my then Clifton uh, Davis. Yeah. <laughs> partner. <laughs> yes, that was talk and that's what I'm saying. You had the variety the variety show that that was in the yeah. summer the summer yeah. of 72. Yeah. And so so talk about that like you were one of the earliest. I'm not going to say the first but one of the earliest uh uh uh, singer slash uh, uh, performers, you know. Um, to have that kind of um, acclaim. Because I bet you it's, I bet you it's something you didn't know. Did you know Carol Channing was black? I had no idea. <laughs> I won't just... <laughs> nah, you got me there. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie to you, Melba. I'm not even going to lie to you. I had no idea for all, all these years. I thought Carol Channing was white. No. Jeez. But you anyway, every day. I'm sorry, that's not what you asked me. <laughs> no, what I was asking, you know, here you are, you're acting, you know. <laughs> I don't know if you're pulling my leg, Melba. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. That's, this is, this is, okay. see, you give me a chance to be me. I don't know if that's good or not. <laughs> no, nah, I like that. That's what we hear. This is the Bridge of the Generation podcast. I, I'm not here to talk. I want to talk about the, the music and I want to yeah, hear yeah. That's what I, I, I love. Like I said, I've been following you for like 35 years. Yeah. So I, and, the, and the real life forces that make these things happen. I think they're fascinating. Um, but um, Clifton was uh, in his first Broadway show. He was in the chorus of Hello, Dolly, which had been starred first by uh, um, Barbara Streisand. Mm. But then it had been starred by Carol Channing. Mm. 
But this time it was being starred by Pearl Bailey. Pearl Bailey. Whew. So that'll give you an idea of what the environment was like mm -hmm. in Broadway theater for black people for the first time. Amazing. A lot of things were just exploding. And I had just come yeah. from hair. And so when I went to audition for Pearly, right. Phil, Phil Rose said, don't, know, don't tell nobody you did that. That ain't no real show. Whoa. I thought, hold on, hold on. I would have... I thought that was very critically acclaimed at that time, you know? It was, but it was, it broke all the rules. It wasn't what legitimate people called theater. Oh, okay. See, I didn't, I wasn't around back in 1967. Right. So, I, so right. I, I'm, I'm looking at it from 54 years later. It's critically yeah. acclaimed and, you know, we, we talk about it a lot. But that's because the people made it a hit. It's a, what do they call it? A cult classic uh, as well. Well, now it is, yes, because it's continued yeah. to be very, very highly regarded and respected. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're an occult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that term has always been funny to me. But people, people, you know, they, they, love, they, they, love the they love the stage play and they love the movie as well. It's, it's true. So, um, <clears throat> so uh, with Clifton, he, during that time, left Hello, Dolly!, and went to do his first starring role on Broadway. Uh, I can't remember the, the, the white gentleman's name. He's an acclaimed uh, television and theater actor too. Um, actually, he's Latino, he's not white. But uh, the, the play was called Two Gentlemen of Verona. Okay. And uh, I'm not sure if Clifton got a Tony for that, but he, got, he, he became greatly successful for that. <clears throat> but So we were like the two Sonny and Cher is on Broadway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, that's kind of like kind of like the black Sonny and Cher for for television for that summer. No, that's that's what the that was the yeah. purpose was. That's why we were offered it. Yeah. And that was kind of basically patterned after that show. It was it was a variety comedy variety show. It was patterned after that show. But we were the the summer replacement for Carol Burnett, which was also very 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 successful. Um, comedy show and she had uh, all kinds of guests on but I was a guest on her show too so it was a musical variety show as well so so now, we were the summer replacement for her now this was was again um if, if I'm not mistaken what did was this on television or was this just a stage play I, I, I thought it was I thought it was on television it was a TV yes okay I, I was just want to make sure because I can no, I, I guess I might sound like it's confusing because both Clifton and I are, are backgrounds of theater Okay. See, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that about Clifton Davis. I know him from being a songwriter. You know, I know he wrote "Never Can Say Goodbye" and "Looking right. Through the Windows," but I, I had no idea that he, he came from the stage. Well, you know how you people are. <laughs> You're always trying to boss folks in. You can't do that with you people. Can't do. You can't do exactly. Exactly. I got the right. I got the right one tonight. <laughs> so look, so look, Melba. So here you are. You released three projects on Mercury Record. Uh, you end up going to uh, Buddha Records, and you know, at this time, Gladys Knight was there. So you know, yeah. you released four projects on uh, Buddha Records. In my opinion, I feel like that's when you started to really hit your stride. Uh, working with uh, producers such as uh, Van McCoy and Eugene McDaniel's and. You know, that was around, I believe, uh, this this is it came out around that time. So talk about uh, your period on, uh, your, your time on Mercury Records, 
putting together these now, and I, I feel, you know, classic, critically acclaimed albums. Absolutely. And it was because uh, my then husband, Charles Huggins, and I were trying to find a manager. Nobody would manage me because all the managers of black female artists um, were, the backgrounds was R&B music. Okay. And they said, they, they rejected me because my background was theater. And they said, I was too white. <laughs> well, they thought that. They thought I wouldn't appeal to, to black people. Girl, you had you had it going on. I'm looking at you. I was looking at you uh, performing with Clifton. I said, "Man, that's wifey right there, man. Who, whoever, who, who whoever was was a part, the, the 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 partner of her, is a lucky man." Well, I, I wasn't. Because you had you was you was because your personality. I love your personality. Even like talking to you now, but. You always just through the years just seem like such a genuine person. I know it sounds like I'm kissing. I'm kissing. No, I, I, I hope. I, I think that's. I'm just being honest. I, I, I thought you were so cute. I thought you, I thought you and Clifton were so cute together as well. You know. I think that was our genre. That was our category. Like I was not the uh, femme fatale. No. Yeah, yeah. Cute, cute was my category. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I think. No, I mean, no. you have to you, you have to know where where you fit so you can keep it up. I got you. Yeah, yeah. You uh, what they call it? Uh, you know your niche. Get into your that's, yeah, your, lane. Yeah. that's your that was your lane. But you know, yeah. so again, talk about that time period because you know that first oh. project, that Peach, that Melba Pete, that, uh, okay, the Peach Melba, Peach Melba project with Eugene McDaniel's, and I yes. and then the following one, you you know, you had Van McCoy into the picture. Yes. Yeah. You know, I believe well, the last one you had, Jimmy McFadden and John Whitehead. So just talk a yeah. little bit about that time that, period. That's really all due to my then husband, Charles Huggins. We weren't to, we're not together now. Right. But right. he was the business and the the, the creative side of of uh, my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was my he was my husband, my 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 baby's father. Mm-hmm. He was there. It was the other part of my life. I was telling you about how the life started, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and then how it developed when my mother. Then um, gave me a family, a sister and a brother, a mm. father, uh, some someone who uh, um, nurtured me, a, a man in in a, a black girl's life because we're used to being uh, molested. Mm. I'm I'm saying how I'm, it unprotected, is unprotected, unprotected, yeah, unprotected. Yeah. And my my father, his name is Clement. That means mercy. So you know that's coming from God. I call, can you, what can I say? And you can observe these things after all these years, where, uh-huh. where they come from and what they mean, and they're very clear to you. It's the first man that stood me. I, I was beating my, my, my stepbrother down because I was used to fighting in the streets. I mean, for fun. I wasn't really angry. Yeah, I was angry with him because um, <clears throat> my mother had given me her um, pink gold bull of a watch. Mm. And he took it. I don't know. I put it somewhere. And he took it apart. <laughs> I beat him down. That but Negro, <laughs> that petty Negro. But, but he was only nine years old. He didn't know, you know. And I didn't know no better than to beat him down. <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to tell my two. My, my daughter is ten, and my son is seven. He does the same type of stuff to her. Well, it's just you know how kids are. So my father, but he, I never forget. He was the first man that I ever saw in my life that stood me. Still looked in my eye, explained to me, Melba, you can't do that. You have to learn how to communicate. This mm-hmm. is your, you know, and showed the example of, and gave the example. Of, and he, his mother was still living, so I had a grandmother. 
I, ha I had all these different family members I had to learn how to communicate with. So that's how that happened. So <clears throat> when uh, uh, Buddha Records happened, I, I had, <clears throat> after, after Clifton, I lost my career. I was very sick and I had to start all over again. And my, my mother had gotten sick and she, actually she was passing away. I didn't know that. When I met Charles, and <laughs> he had a restaurant uh, right down the street from the Apollo Theater called Charles's Gallery. Now, Charles was in music as well. Like yes, but he was in the business part. Okay. So we met, fell in love, and married. And so he's the one that then had this genius talent and gift to go out and get me uh, uh, another record deal after uh, Mercury with Buddha, uh, made friends, dear friends with Art Cass, who ran the company. And they really nurtured me and they went out and got these incredible songwriters and producers and, and we were in love. So I was singing, I am his lady. And Peach Melba. Peach Melba, whoo, lean on me. So that, that's how that began. And then uh, <clears throat> it continued. And then um, when we finished with Mercury, he signed me with, uh, I think, Epic Records. Yeah, yeah. And then he, and he said, Melba, you should, you should try writing. So he encouraged me to write. So I wrote a lot of things with uh, some really wonderful songwriters after he wouldn't kind of borrow Gene McFadden and John Whitehead. From well, let's go back. Let's slow it down. Cause we ain't about to just skim over. We ain't about to skim okay. over that Buddha, that, that Buddha uh, records era, right? Okay. Now. Okay. Because a lot of lot of people they were all we we know about the Capitol. That's when that's when you got in your groove and you was, right. But you it know, took some it took some it, work and in, in time. It took some work and some time, and, some, and and those projects were overlooked. I feel they was overlooked at, at the time, but now I think those projects are classic. So talk to they talk are, to me are. about working with Van McCoy. You know, I mentioned I have to mention him <laughs> because Van McCoy. He's from my homes, uh, my hometown, Washington D.C. Uh -huh. uh, we know him from the hustle, working with Stacy Lattisaw from who's also from here, stylistic, so many different artists and. You know, a lot of people, we don't talk about that period of your career and uh, as much, and I feel we should, you know. Well, well Van is, is important because the disco hustle ushered in the disco. That is a fact. But, and I'm talking about a dance era. Mm -hmm. I think before that, it might have, uh, in my parents' time, it might have been called uh, um, whatever their dances were. Mm -hmm. But Van McCoy um, identified the disco and the hustle ushered in, uh, uh, um, I'm trying to think, um, Liza Minnelli, Ethel uh, uh, Merman mm. had disco records. Yeah. That's, that's how powerful disco it was. was. It was because, eventually, of course, we had Donna Summer. Queen of disco. Okay. <laughs> and singing with Barbara Streisand. She went, you know, sometimes people think that dance singers are not strong singers. She could sing anything she could hear. <laughs> yeah, she could. No, you ain't lying about that. You was not. Yeah, you 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 on the money with that one right there. This Donna was rough, baby. Okay. Y'all had a y'all had a pretty cool relationship. Well, you know, she did the broad. She did the musical hair in Germany. That's why See, I asked. That's why the, I asked. <laughs> the other thing, the other thing about hair is they didn't just open on Broadway and then follow afterwards. They opened everywhere at once because they were astrologically driven. Yeah, we, a, lot, we, a, lot, a lot of famous actors and actresses came from a lot, even, a lot. 
from 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 the play being going abroad, you know. Right, right. I know a little something. <laughs> I, see, I see you too. I see you too. I got sidetracked. What was I saying? No, we, I was just talking about, you know, we saw about Van McCoy in disco. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so I was telling you how I got Van and how I got Buddha Records. And then <clears throat> I got these wonderful songs that 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 Dan wrote for me because we wanted to be part of disco too. Okay. You know, he, he was the man who created it. So my then husband went out and got me Van. There you go. Get, come on, Van McCoy. Let's let's go. I'm trying to get some of that hustle because that, that that's this, right. If this is it, I I can hear a little. And one thing I love about right. Van McCoy, he has his distinctive sound, but he caters yeah. that to his artists. Like he's able to most so just. Talk to me a little bit about Van McCoy. The people, I want to, I, as a fan, I just want to know, like, how was it working with Van McCoy? Because we don't talk, well, about, people don't talk about Van McCoy that much. And I okay, think it's not, to me, it's not, for me, it's not just Van McCoy, but I think we had a... Joe Cobb? Hmm? Oh, I know, I was mentioning Van McCoy, Joe Cobb. Oh, the, who he wrote with? Yeah, yes. Charles Kipps? Yes, yes. No, no, I'm just, I was just saying, like, you know, those particular albums, man, I, I really, well, I love it. Not that but, I don't love the rest of the stuff, but I no, just- No, 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 but, but what I'm saying is yeah. that I think one of the reasons you feel and hear a synergy is because like I started out as a background singer. So like <clears throat> some sometimes for instance, we would be singing so long and so many dates, we would be so tired. Normally if you get tired, you get angry or-, or Right, right. You know, no, the, the, the longer we sang and the more, the more tired we were, the sillier we got, mm. you just start giggling because you can't make sense no more, but you never right, get right. upset or angry. Music makes you happy. Mm. No so, so you already got that <laughs> with Van McCoy and me, right? Mm -hmm. So then we, we worked together and lived together in his background singers and his, and, and his instrumentals. And Van McCoy was a violin man, man. Yeah. yeah, you can hit him straight. Yes, okay. Hear them strings. Plus, he hated saxophones. Oh, I had no idea. See, this is why. I, see, this is why I ask these questions. I, I'm a Dan McCoy fan, and and I, I never knew that. Okay, the next time you listen to "Lean on Me," listen to the intro, and you'll hear this oboe. He loved oboes. Mm. The reason I'm telling you that is a lot of times, you know, you don't see this instrument outside of those kind of unique situations. No so when you sometimes when you listen to something, you don't know why you like it. You don't know what's grabbing you. Yeah. Now, the, all of those instruments start before the, the vocalist even comes in. He already got you before I start singing. Ooh, go on, girl. Talk about it. Talk okay. about it. <laughs> See, and then, you know, you affect each other when you communicate with each other and you're with each other. So he sees me in a certain way. And I, I think... And of course, now lean on me really is my arrangement. Okay, because he because he, he was an arranger as well, huh? No, he was an arranger as well. No, he is the arranger. There's <laughs> a lot of times we just think of him, we think of him as as a producer. I think so. But that's but that's, but that's what a producer is. Yeah. In most cases, if they are an instrumentalist and and, and they um they they write and create the sound that you hear, but. Uh, um, the reason it was my arrangement and I had to have it that way mm. is because I was a die-hard fan and still am yes. of Aretha Franklin. I heard her sing it. Okay. And I knew I couldn't sing it like her. 
<laughs> so I start singing it and developing my own arrangement. Mm -hmm. So that by the time I got to, to meet Van McCoy, I kind of grabbed him by the throat and said, you got to do this. You got to do this like this. <laughs> because um, after Aretha had done it and several other people had done it, he didn't have any interest in doing that song. He's going on to the next thing. It wasn't even important to him. It was important to me. Right. Wow. What was it about that song that just made you want to, you know, want to want to cover it and want to, you know, get down and put your own stamp on it? Because to me, your version is the definitive version. It's the lyrics. I can still get chills to to hear. Just let me walk this road of life with you, step by step, wherever it's leading to. Okay. Just the way it's out. And of course, I'm sure I was affected that way by hearing it the first time from Aretha. You know what she can do to a lyric for me. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. If I wasn't saying, she'd make me cuss. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Aretha. We love you. We love oh, absolutely. you. Absolutely. But that's where the inspiration came. And he consented. <clears throat> he, I had some recordings of my having done it live. Okay. And he consented to, to basically do that arrangement, mm -hmm. which I think is very, very um, generous. Somebody who's in charge of the production and everything. I'm not an arranger. Right. <laughs> but, but that's when it's very important when you have a synergy in it, um, a fellowship, so people know you're not trying to take what's theirs. Yeah. And you know that you really, 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 really appreciate that they wrote, you know, this, you, I'm not a writer, you know, right. but you appreciate them. And if you do it this way, I, I could sing it, <laughs> you know, I'm saying, please, please do it. <laughs> he, put, he, he brought out, he brought yeah. out all, the, all the bells and whistles on that one. He did. He did. I can't do that. Yeah. And, you know, and um, it's so exciting to me that this is how my chemistry is. And so I can have success because of this, you know. No doubt, no doubt. So, so, so look, you know, you 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 end up, uh, you know, you finish your time with the, uh, uh, you know, Buddha Records. You end up going to Epic Records, and your first project is when you 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 had your first, you know, top thirty hit. Uh, you know, covering one of my favorite songs by the Bee Gees. You stepped into my life. So, what, what was that like? You know, on that self-titled. That was your, your second self-titled project. Well. You did one earlier on uh, Buddha, but in 1978, that self-titled project, what was it releasing, the, you know, the, the, okay. that classic, You Stepped Into My Life? Talk about it. My then husband, like I said, we're not married anymore. But at that time, you can see what our synergy brought me. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he kind of went down and had a, um, a meeting with Gamble and Huff. Philly. Philly International. Yes and um, made, made a relationship with them and started to do some songs, um, create some songs for me. <clears throat> but then he kind of borrowed them because they wanted to be performers too. They were great performers. Now we talking about uh, John, uh, uh, John Whitehead, John Whitehead. Jay, McFadden, Jay McFadden and Victor Karstarfe. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. just part of the crew. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I'm, just, you know, so so that's basically how you. Because I was wanted to know, like, how'd you end up in Philly? You know, right, right. working at, at Sigma Sound. So continue, continue. I mean, I didn't mean to stop. Okay. Go ahead. Well, we we met uh, Teddy Pendergrass too, and 
I, I guess my ex-husband has a nice personality because um, Teddy's now, well, before he passed, became my daughter's godfather. We became a family. Synergy is real, real, real important. You have to let people spend time with you and let you know that you, res you respect them mm -hmm. and how you're going to work with them so that they'll be happy with that. So when the time came for me to do... <laughs> you stepped into my life. <laughs> you stepped into my life and I'm oh so I'm sorry <laughs> I can just hear that song in my head don't apologize honey. I'm sorry I can't get that song out of my head okay that's, that's, I mean after all these years it still has that effect yeah, man I, I can't help it that's a cut okay. that's a cut right there now can I tell you why <laughs> why is that because the Bee Gees version is great as well I love their version well, first too first of all the, the Bee Gees wrote a great song yes yes and that's what the chord changes the basic yeah. Uh, construction of the song, yeah. but let me tell you who wrote that bass line that you hear when it first starts. Mm. Okay, I'm trying and to guess. Do you remember it? I know, no, I know, the, I know the music. I'm trying to figure out who wrote it. Oh, oh, I know, oh. The, I know the music. Oh, I'm just oh, trying no, to do yeah. I, I, I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I will try to beat you to the punch because oh, I'm, oh, I'm, oh, I'm okay. a music. I'm a music connoisseur, so yeah. I pride myself on knowing these things, but you got me. So go ahead. Okay. <laughs> and, and remember this guitar lick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you know the the comping piano part. It was Gene McFadden and John Whitehead. They created those uh, licks. Talented. See, that's talented. what a songwriter producer do. They don't mm. just write the song and the lyrics. All those yeah. little, we call them inside hooks. Mm. Mm. Because they hook you from yeah. the first, they don't wait four bars. The first night, the first note, boom. Dun, 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 it go get, it go get, and that's what I, and that's what I wanted to talk about. Because that build up. The, 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 let me calm down. The buildup <laughs> is nuts. Like I like the VG's version. I gotta keep. I, I gotta show love to the VG. But, but that buildup on your version, the way it just comes in it. Oh. And then by the time that buildup, up, and I said, "Ooh, hey girl, you coming in? Yeah." <laughs> You came in like a roaring lion on that one. You 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 demolished that track. I'm sorry. You put your but, foot. But see, that's my style now because Gene and John helped develop that. That's why you can see the difference from uh, Mercury. And and I, and I wanted to talk about that because yeah. we all again we all know the, the Capital era that was phenomenal. But that fit time of you in Philadelphia working with uh, uh, John Whitehead, Jane McFadden. I swear, I mean, those were some really good albums. You know? uh, a matter of fact, um, his son, Charlie, what's, what's Gene's son's name? Dominic McFadden is his son. Oh, Dominic McFadden. Hey, he's a producer, right? <laughs> Small world. Okay, Dexter, well, him and Dexter got uh, sons that produce, and that's from Philadelphia, Dexter Wanzo. Who, who you also work with as well. Yes. And now, uh, but Dominic produced my my latest video. Okay. He, we, we did some work together too. And hopefully we'll uh, do some, some more. 
But uh, um, my, my latest song is called Just Doing Me, but that's Dominic's video. Okay. Okay. So you can, can go check that out later. But <clears throat> what I was telling you about was um, uh, 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 Jim, Jim McFadden and John Whitehead. Yeah. And that family affair. Now, what's in, also important about this relationship is because of our relationship, our company, Hush Production, produced um, was it? Ain't No Stopping Us. Oh, okay. Ain't No Stopping Us Now on their, no uh, their, first, uh, their first album. Right. I had no, whew, you just told me, so I had no ideas. So this, even though they wrote that song, that was on you guys' production company, though. Yes, because um, they really weren't allowed to, to uh, perform at Philly International. Oh, makes sense. Because that, that, that album was released on Philadelphia International. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's why. Okay, you just taught me something else. I had no idea. This is just little backstories. I like. No, but I, I, I like, I like the content. This, see, this again. This is what we do here. We ain't with all oh, the. We not with all the nonsense. We bought this music. We want to talk, you know, the intricacies of the <laughs> concepts and things of that nature. So look, you um, you end up uh, finishing your, your 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 tenure at Epic. You do uh, you do a stint at EMI, you know, and um, you know that and that what what a woman uh, uh needs project. I love that one too. Thank you. I co-wrote that whole project. Yeah, and so so talk about that. Talk about that. My, my you then started, husband you really started writing. You started writing. Well, my then husband was saying you should use this opportunity to. We got the, the best songwriters. You can you can um, co-write with them and see what you come up with. And one of the things we came up with was what a woman needs. Mm. Yeah, I love, I love I love that project. A lot of lot of you know a lot of lot of great memories. I was I was I remember that playing that when I was like. Seven, eight years old, hear my mom oh, play. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. One, that one. I think that was my first introduction to you. Mm -hmm. the, the stuff from the seventies. I, I had to go back for all of that. So mm -hmm. again, I'm still, I, I, I still been a fan before Capital. So anyway, here we go. You know, <laughs> you, 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 uh, you, you sign with Capital Records, and you, you know your first project, um, uh, the other side of the rainbow. Um, you, you know, you, 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 you release some very great music and what was it like on your time with the uh, capital records and, and scoring a lot of your your first uh top 10 hits wow well, i i think it was with capital that we then also began to reach out and get other producers to keep our music progressing and we we found the gold mine of kashif kashif mm. That's the guy right there. Lava, is... turn me on. <laughs> I just got to have you. <laughs> That's my guy right here. All you can do is like shake your head. Right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Because I, I know you. Can... That's my guy. I'm a huge Kashif fan. <laughs> you gotta be. God, what a huge Kashif fan. Also, again, passed away very young. Yeah, very. But, yeah. But really, really um, monumental in his influence in the the eras. Mm -hmm. that you can define by the sound of the music and the instruments. Mm -hmm. Because if, if you go back, because you're too young, but if you listen to the music of Ray Charles, Ray Charles ushered in the Fender Rhodes. The Fender Rhodes piano, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Stevie Wonder ushered in the Moog synthesizer. With uh, 
Robert Bugalef and Malcolm Cecil. Okay. I know a little something. Okay. Everybody, everybody do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. oh, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I got you. I got you. I got you. But no, nah, no, nah, just, you know. So, so, so look, I so, wanted to talk about, but go, ahead, go ahead. Kashif ushered in that synthesizer sound. Yes, and yeah. if people don't know what the name of it is, and I don't, you remember Evelyn King's Love Come Down and what the sound yep. is. Yep, yep. Yeah, Howard uh, Howard Johnson, Howard Johnson, George um, Benson, his earliest stuff. I mean, his eight, his early eighties stuff. Yes, um, Whitney Houston, Whitney Houston, <laughs> um, um, Freddie Jackson, Freddie Jackson, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Lilo Thomas. Uh, I don't know if you know. Do you know who Paul Lawrence is? Of course, he, you're, okay. you're a writer, and, and, and he had a nice little career for himself. Yeah, no, but Paul Lawrence wrote. Paul Rockman. Lawrence III, yeah, Rockman for Freddie Jackson, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, everybody who knows Freddie knows Rockman. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if they know Paul wrote it. Paul Paul Lawrence the Third. Now, would you like to ask me something? <laughs> <laughs> so no, no, we're talking. We just having a conversation. But you, 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 you. Like I said, we going deep with it. We going deep okay. with it. So look, look. Let's fast forward. You know, you, you, you scored your first uh, top uh, uh, top five hit with Love's Coming At You. And how was that? Because, you you know, for years you've been making these really nice projects, but you didn't have those hits. You didn't have the hits, even though they was very critically acclaimed. And boom, with Capitol Records, you finally uh, started, you know, you get you get a top five hit, which was followed by number ones, you know, you know, just like a, a little bit more falling. So talk about that. What, what was that transition like in why how, what was it that capital records was able to do as far as cultivating your sound uh for you to just have a such a a strong career while you was there they were able to work with my then husband charles huggins that's what a manager does mm. they they help build and create careers with individuals by helping to put those pieces to them and and you know we're talking about my whole recording career which really began with Mercury, but it, but it began to grow and develop right. with, Char with Charles Huggins. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah. he, he, he would be there with the A&R people, with me too. But the other aspects of it, what was going to be the marketing? How were we going to um, go and get these songwriters and producers, with the, which the record companies had to pay? He mm -hmm. had to be with, with the, uh, um, he had to make the deals with the CEOs to make these arrangements mm. and create these environments. If you don't have that, the artists can't do anything. Mm. Now, was Larkin Arnold, was he there? He was at Capitol at that time? Yes. And uh, I believe Frankie Beverly as well? Yes. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was some, it was some stiff some stiff competition over there. I don't know if you want to call it. I'm not saying that you guys was competing, but I'm just saying it was some... Well, it's, it's, it's a competitive industry, but yeah. thank God, you know, you if you do your work right, you can create your own lane. Freddie, Freddie, Freddie right. was over there as well. Right. Well, we, we put him, we signed him there. Yeah, because he was well, a part of your production. He was under your yeah, production. We, we, we managed him. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's my mentee. Okay. I take credit for him. Well, he gives me credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys have released some, yeah. some, some great songs. So talk about your your, your chemistry with, with Freddie, you know. Oh, like, my goodness. You know, that, uh, that, that, that a little bit more, that's a classic right there, you know. Well, uh, um, Gene and John wrote that for us, but you know, Freddie's a songwriter. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Well, let me say this. He's black, okay? So he gonna riff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> they basically laid, laid down just a little bit more. And then I did like I do. I come in and I fill in and put my part in there. But mm -hmm. you know, like the, the man is first and the woman comes. That's and so it really, really fits. But you know, um Gina had helped develop me. So right. now now we're a family that's that's grown together. So just a little bit more really was tailor made for both of us, by all of us. And <laughs> and my husband then manager. Everybody's part of, it's not a team anymore. It's, it's a family. Yeah, right, right. So it's really, really close-knit. And uh, one of the things about Freddie, actually, he could do stand-up comedy if he wanted to. <laughs> I, already got hilarious. A, I already got a sense of humor. He's hilarious. And the two of us together, we used to try to outdo each other. Now, did you grow up with Freddie? Because I, I believe he's from Harlem as well, right? Grow up with Freddie? He's my mentee. I'm, I look good, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you look amazing. You look Freddie's, amazing. Freddie's, Freddie's much younger than I am, but uh, I'll just say this. We had so much fun together that I would try to play tricks on him because our, our studio was right, and our office was right around the corner from where we lived. So one day I invited him around to, to come and you know, have tea with me in my apartment. Okay. But I put on this incredible outfit that's just ridiculous. It don't make no sense, okay? <laughs> and when I opened the door and he looked at me, he fell out on the floor in the hall. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Man. And when Freddie laughs, he like he got chokes, you know. <laughs> he can't wow. breathe. He was saying, I can't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> must been it must been a smoker. Well, I'm going to give you an idea of our relationship. It was a loving one. It was yeah. fun. We worked hard. We traveled together. Um, we made opportunities for each other. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that project. Let's talk about that project that, uh, you know, that A Lot of Love album. You know, that was, you score again, you scored uh, two number ones. You have two other songs that, 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 that hit the top five. You know, the album went platinum. I mean, Talk about that album and your time, because here it is. You've been in the game for 16 years, and you finally scored your first number one. So what was it like putting that, uh, you know, having everything come together? Of course, it was fabulous, but I, I always felt like I was kind of backwards. <laughs> that just said I happened first. Matter of fact, when you first asked me the question, you, you assumed that it happened first. Mm. So I was like, oh, because I guess I'm a late bloomer in terms of being um, um, a pop recording artist. So then now really I kind of hear myself on the radio for the first time kind of consistently in who I am now. You're being nice, very consistently. You could, here in DC, I thought you was from DC because you, you was played was everywhere in DC. Yeah, but I had a good I had a good business team. That's what I'm saying. They they have to make sure that the radio stations are taken care of. They work with the record company, with the uh, uh, the promotion people. Uh, you know, people have to love the record, but it has to be marketed. Got to be marketed. Yeah. You have to have that that combination. That's that's what happened. And of course, uh, I'm I'm telling you this and remembering <laughs> how it felt to have all that together. Doggone it, I'm a hit record seller because it takes all of that. 
You, you, yeah, don't, you, you didn't have you don't feel like you had that before when you was at Buddha. I didn't have it. Yeah. And part yeah. of it was because my style wasn't finished developing. It wasn't just a record company. They have to have the product or they can't sell it. Mm. But if they don't sell it and you have the product, you still have the same failed result. Yeah, I think um, I once I once heard uh, I was uh, interviewed Chris Jasper uh, from the Osley Brothers last week, and he was telling me, you know, you have to have everything come together. You have to have great marketing. You got to have the song. You have the you have to have that artist that has that uh, likability factor. And I feel like you always had pieces of of those. And we, but when you came to Capitol Records, the whole thing, the whole thing finally put together. You know, yes. So you asked me, though, what did I feel like when I heard it on the radio? And number one, two number ones, <laughs> two right. number ones, two number ones, and two top five records on one album. That's that's. I said, "Oh, what again?" Oh. Yeah, yeah, back to back number ones. Yeah. To be honest, yeah. you can't back to back number ones. Yeah, no. and then you you know, of course, I was part of it happening because we had to go out on. Um, promotional tours. And uh, one of the things I saw is that some, some um, recording artists, they don't want to go to the radio stations and they don't want to go, you mm. know, to the stores and promotion because, you know, you're out uh, um, uh, performing in concert yeah. and sometimes you're tired, you know, or, or that's a whole nother talent. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking to people and being articulate and dressing up, you know, yeah. 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 <laughs> so what do they, they call that? Um, Ah, it's a it's a name that they call that. Like when you speak with the the uh, the media, the public. I forgot the term right now. <laughs> it come back to me. But you know, it's it's a lot of work. And media it's a savvy. Good... Media savvy. That's the term. Yeah, right? yeah. You got to work the media. They're, I mean, yeah. they're customers too, and they're the first ones really that have to be convinced that it's a hit. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they they don't like it. They won't play for the public. They won't give it to the public. Mm. Okay. Okay. So, uh, you know, you, 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 you know, after that, you, um, you know, continue to, you know, release uh, songs, that, songs that was button, you know, that was on those charts consistently. But and, we have uh, a combination. I, we kind of know what's respect expected and what to right, do. So, so right. we can help crank it out now. You, Cause you was pretty much your time on Capitol. I mean, every, everything was charting pretty, pretty high. And yeah. I have to talk about this particular song. My brother, he, uh, it's funny that we about to talk about the song because a couple of maybe three weeks ago, he uh, texted me this song. And I remember we was when we was like young and I used to love this song and this lift every voice and sing and that star ensemble castle. Talk to oh, me about that hey. together because I, I forgot. I'm going to be honest. Mm -hmm. I forgot that song existed because mm -hmm. I know so much music, but I, I haven't heard that song since I was right. a kid and when he showed me, it almost made me break down and, and, and crack. I had mm -hmm. it, it take me back to my, my childhood and how much I love that song, hearing it on the radio and seeing the, you know, the video. So talk about that, putting that mm -hmm. together. I, I, I'm just thinking that you probably related to it a lot because they made it so musical. It was a hit record. It was musical. Right. And the the uh, the Negro National Anthem is not that musical, so it's not if you if you don't do it like the the Star Spangled Banner and push it all the time, the same thing would be true of the Star Spangled Banner. It is always being promoted to you, and and you reminded this is your nation's song, so you keep singing it. Yeah, we used uh, to sing. We used to sing that, you know, like 
during Black History uh, Month. Yeah. And, and it never hit me. I'm not going to lie. It just that didn't hit me like when I heard that on the radio. You know? I'm telling you why. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm just <laughs> and I'm confirming what you're saying. Oh, okay. I'm confirming why you said it. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? This is the reason why. Yeah. So, go ahead. So, so what, what happened was uh, one day I was watching television and uh, I was watching the NAACP awards and they were honoring Dr. Dorothy Height. Okay. And I was listening to her story and the way she spoke and she was talking about what the National Council of Negro Women does and I became really, really enamored because uh, I, I know in my heart I, um, I'm a community servant. I, I want to do things, and I'm, I'm a born again Christian. So our heart is maybe that's probably why "Lean on Me" struck me. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You, you recorded twice. <laughs> yeah. So um, um, I called her office and, and asked, could I meet with her? Was there a way that I could partner with her or fellowship with the National Council of Negro Women in any way? And she said yes, and she invited me to travel around with with, with the organization. At, at the at the NCNW's expense, it just, I, so I could see what it was, right. and, and then she made me um, national membership chair. So I was kind of like the face for the NCNW, mm -hmm. and um, I spent. I was on hiatus, so I wasn't doing any music or anything, and um, I don't think I was born again yet. So I didn't. I didn't. She asked me to uh, at one of the prayer breakfasts. Why didn't I sing like the Negro National Hymn? And I didn't know we had one. Mm. And I thought, well, how did I miss that? I said, okay, I'm from New York City. I didn't have black history. I didn't have my own history. So I didn't have black history. But uh, when I found out uh, that who it was written by, and um, I was moved to learn it, to, to sing it with her. And, and I start singing it. I said, wonder what would happen. Because we had um, a, a black A&R person at Capitol by the name of Scott Folks. Okay. And I spoke to him about the idea, but he was sensitive to it. And I think at the same time, for the first time, somebody like BB uh, and CC Winans was on Capitol Records too. That was yeah. so things were really changing and, and, and moving. Mm -hmm. And he contacted BB, and BB agreed to do. He did the arrangement on that version that you you hear. Right. So that's why it sounds like a hit record. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's two versions on the album, but the the one that we hear on the radio is the is the well, first with, one with everybody singing it. Yeah, with everybody singing, I love. Whew. And then I thought, if you make it a hit record, they're gonna a lot of people are gonna be like me. They, don't, they didn't have Black History, so they don't know we have a song that identifies us. They're gonna think it's my hit record. So, what do you think, Scott, about inviting some other artists to do it so that we can highlight the fact that we are a nation? We were brought here as slaves, but we are a nation. And right. this is what we consider our national anthem. Can mm. we do this? And as a result, Dr. Height got um, Congressman Walter Fontroy mm -hmm. to enter it on record as the official national anthem so that it actually is that. Whether it's a hit record or not, it's we got an anthem got like an every other anthem. nation. Exactly. Uh, and, 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 and basically, you know, it all, all started with you. Yeah. It all started. <laughs> it all started. I, I did something. <laughs> but how was it putting all those artists together? You know, you had Bobby Brown, Stevie Wonder, you know, I mean, Dion Warwick. 
Did you say, did you see, say that Jesse Jackson did the um, narration for the audio version? Did you know that? Or did you see yeah, yeah. that? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Jesse Jackson? Yeah, yes, yes. I mean, it was just amazing. I'm, I'm missing Je Jeffrey Osborne and BBC. It was, oh man, like how did you get all those artists together well, like that? Maybe they they came because of me to some degree, but I didn't. Scott Folks and BB Winans did. Okay. We can't forget that Debbie Allen right. uh, created the the, uh, I, the visual idea and the. Uh, and especially with the dancing. I know that. I know. Jasmine that. Guy, let's say her name, Jasmine Guy. Yeah. So that was their touch. That was I, 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 I can see their touch in that, you know, with the dancing, the choreography. And that's the whole point. You know, yeah. we're Americans. This is how we do our. Our thing. Yeah, <laughs> I know that's right. I know that's right. So look. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I, I got to talk about that song. Hey, this is for my Thank brother. You. He going to this part right here. So shout out to my brother, uh, Mashan. And uh, and. Also, I got a, a, a shout out, uh, Mr. Richardson, and I got a shout out, uh, uh, my br uh, this brother of mine, uh, Mr. Michael Black. Got to shout these two uh, gentlemen out, you know, who put, the, who put this thing together. So let's, let's get that out the way. <laughs> let's keep it moving. So, uh, Melba, you know, through the years, you have accomplished so much as, uh, as far as being, you know, uh, actress, uh, uh a singer. Now, which one do you enjoy the most? Because you returned to acting back in 78 and but then you start doing a lot. You had a, a lot of roles on stage and and, and even okay. in Fight and Temptation. So talk about that. Which one do you, right. you enjoy the most? I enjoy both. And I'm, um, I, as I said, uh, my husband and I are not together. So I don't have that part of the management that provided those kinds of opportunities for me. But I do have a good manager now, and we're working on projects, and we've got some offers. I just had an offer today to do uh, uh, to go back to Broadway, so I, I know I'm going to have an opportunity to go back and do those things. But as I'm saying, I'm just giving due where it, it is. I don't know how to do these things, but as I'm here uh, talking and, and letting people see who I am today, people right. come to the table and they bring it back to me again. No doubt, <laughs> as they as they should, because again, you are you 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 you're. you're you're the one and only. We love you. <laughs> so, so look, I, I mentioned uh, Fight and Temptation. How was it working with, uh, you know, with Beyonce and Eddie Levert, Cuba? I feel that movie is, as, I love that movie. What, 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 was it, what was it like, you know? So much fun. And once again, I, I don't know if everybody else feels like this, but you're just in such, such awe of the different talent. Like for instance, okay, I told you I'm a Christian, right? So it's extremely important to me that they can make fun, but with respect. And I think they right, did right. that. Yeah, yeah. See, because I'm very good friends with, well, we don't hang out together, but I'm very good friends with Pastor Shirley Caesar. Okay. Now, Pastor, I'm not going to play with you playing with church. Yeah, I know that's right. Yes. And she's strong. So she has, you know, good foundation. And so she, she can make it known to you. I, I can just... Yeah. Pray about it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't see her playing no gay. She don't take. I don't take her uh, playing around with the church. You know, not so like that. There's that experience of my being able to be with somebody that I consider my friend in a, in in a, an entertainment project yeah. that's that's giving honor to God, and we're serious about this. No doubt, no doubt. But obviously, we we know how to have fun without defaming anything. You know, and can I tell you who's the funniest man in the world? 
and Fresh. loud. Who's Eddie that? Levert. Eddie Levert. <laughs> I've been trying to get an inter- interview with Eddie Levert the past the past week. It's gonna happen though. But he, I, I'm a huge fan. We'll talk about it. Well, <clears throat> are we coming down to the uh, studio to start the filming? Yeah. All the way down the hall, I hear Eddie, Eddie Levert laughing. He's so loud. Now hold on, hold on. I gotta stop you for a second because he was in Philadelphia when he was in Philadelphia at Sigma Sound. So this y'all go way back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but uh, um, by the time I, I come, but before I get to the studio, I don't know what he's laughing laughing about, but I'm laughing too. So so I, I feel like Eddie has <laughs> an infectious personality. <laughs> and he's and I think he's a sweetheart. I have a feeling that he's not leading the conversation. I feel that somebody's probably talking to him. So I think he's a good person. He's listening to somebody and he's responding. So I'm, I maybe I'm laughing because I'm getting a good feeling just from listening to him. It's okay, I, Eddie don't even know I feel like this about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he's doing podcasts now. We talked and we started to talk. And he was t- talking about somebody else's position on politics. I said, but I thought we was talking about me. I don't, I don't know. I don't- <laughs> <laughs> well, shout, out, shout out to Eddie LeVert. Shout out to Eddie LeVert. Eddie LeVert. Shout out. Uh, of course, you know, Steve Harvey was in, in that film. Um, yeah. Mike Epps. <laughs> and, and, and hold on, hold on, hold on. Before I even get to Mike yeah. Epps. Hey, Mel, oh, God. Was, Cuba, was Cuba good in Junior? Was he really breakdancing? Oh, don't let me tell you about Cuba Gooding Jr. See, I know he, my, he, he, he got some stuff going on right now. We ain't going to talk about that, but I want to know about that breakdancing because he, he killed the breakdance moves at the end of the movie. See, my born-again uh, Christian experience, and, you know, I, I told you my husband and I were divorced and I lost a lot of things. So I, I really kind of left the world, as it were, and mm-hmm. went into Christ. So I wasn't going to the movies. I wasn't watching TV. So I didn't know about Cuba Gooding Jr. No, oh, 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 oh. No way. <laughs> Boys in the Hood. I hadn't seen it then. I mean, I've seen it now. Wow. Yeah. Man, you 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 really was like gone. <laughs> yeah. I, you closed the door. I did. I, yeah. I went totally. Yeah. I said, okay, well, I, I don't I don't I don't understand. Get, so I'll start over, okay? Yeah, you come <laughs> back. It's, it's a whole new world. Right. You come so, back. so now we're sitting in the, one of the choir scenes, and um, Cuba is the, the choir leader, right? And he's, he's directing the choir. And all of a sudden, flat-footed, with no warning, he does a back-over flip. I was, I was gagging. No way. <laughs> And then, of course, I watched the scene at the end where he's actually dancing and he's breakdancing and everything. I said, oh, my God. So, so that was him? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man, because I, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm like, hold on, let yeah. me find out. Cuba got some moves, man, because he was, he, was, he was doing his thing at the end of the movie, man. That's him. Yeah, yeah. I was like working with Beyonce, you know? Let me just say this. And that was like her first, one of her first acting roles. Yeah. Definitely her first starring role. Yeah. Uh, Beyonce just made everybody look short and ugly. <laughs> I wouldn't say all that. 
No, I think she. I, I get what you mean, though. But yeah. I, you know. she's tall and beautiful, and of course, yeah. I'm short. Yeah. Beautiful, short, and beautiful as well. You but, short. Um, beautiful, but oh, she's very, very talented. Very, very, um, um, very talented. Let me just—you have to be impressed with the time. Like the scene that we did in a jail, and she led the gospel song. That was that was wow. Yeah. Okay, and uh, um, very nice, very sweet, very nice. Okay. Just a, a sweet young person. You know how young people are when they're sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so. Here we, I, I wanna, I'm going to shift gears for a second, you know, bring it, <laughs> we have a little song, a somber tone, go get a little serious for a second. And we're not too serious, but let's go shift gears. So anyway, you know, you've overcome a lot of different things in your life from homelessness uh, to, you know, bankruptcy to a lot of, you know, uh, uh, you know, abuse up and I'm not going to go into details of those things, but um, what has inspired you to <laughs> To, to, to keep going uh, uh, further and to continue to to be a trailblazer uh, uh, to, to uh, tear down walls uh, for, for women and you know how do you feel about overcoming these things you know well I, I, I think I just told you um, things have crashed so badly for me I didn't have anywhere else to go but to God and so everything just left everything. You just go to church, read the Bible, pray, um, meditate. Right. I have a room that's just devoted to, to God, to Jesus. And um, <laughs> it seemed like I heard him say today, don't bring that stuff in here. I, this is my room. I don't bring my work in there. I, I, my, when my life shut down, I realized if it don't be him, there don't, don't be no life. Mm. So, so every time now, so now that's where I live at. Mm. So I don't have to crash no more. I'm already. <laughs> I hear a lot of that. When I listen to that, uh, <laughs> this album, uh, the day I turn to you album, mm -hmm. I hear, I, I hear a lot of that. I, I, yeah. I can see the growth, obviously, you know, but I, I, that's one of those projects that I love. And, and how was it, you know, uh, putting that project out? You just released that. That's not that long ago. Yes, um, but talk about that uh that project and 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 how uh, that transition from uh, rhythm and blues to you know gospel. Talk about that a little bit. Well, uh, <clears throat> I'll say some people helped me so much to have the background or the the support system where I could actually learn how to sing it because I didn't grow up singing that either. I'm I'm born and I'm still Catholic, and I'm Catholic because that was the first Christian religion. I think Jesus know what he's doing. So all the other Christian religions still come back. <laughs> I ain't gonna go there with you, Melvin. <laughs> they still come back to the Catholic religion, which is the one that Jesus started. Uh, if you go to any of the, uh, um, the, the holy places in Israel, he's given them under the, the stewardship of the Catholic religion. It only means universal. It doesn't mean like a, a denomination. So... <clears throat> I, I, I stay there, and um, I, while I, <clears throat> when I had lost my career the last time, and, and my, my husband and my daughter, and was homeless during all that time, uh, <laughs> this is fabulous. We all credit Tyler Perry for creating the gospel musical and the new 
uh, um, television and film industry that we had. But he learned it from somebody else by the name of Michael Matthews. And about two weeks before I was evicted and made homeless, Michael Matthews called me and said he had started something called the Gospel Musical and he was opening a play in St. Louis and he would fly me out so I could see what it was. Okay. And um, I flew out and it was like a Monday in a 2000 seater house and it was full. It was a theater. Mm. <laughs> and it was all church people. <laughs> wow. So he created the Gospel music, Musical. And he was a born again Christian. That was what he was doing. He was doing Christian theater. And he marketed to the churches. That's all he marketed to. See, we forget about that. But a lot of a lot of us we 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 attribute that to Tyler Perry, you know. Well, we see Tyler all the time, and that that's I but we forget about that. I, I know I, I'm glad you brought him up because I, I know of that brother, but I don't hear people talk about him as much. Because you don't see his work. I, I, Michael kind of fell away and didn't follow through. But Tyler did, so you see him. So, uh, um, I, um, he, so I, I, I went with him on the road with a play called, <laughs> Mama, I'm sorry. Do you ever listen to the Steve Harvey show in the morning? Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know the guy Tommy on there? Hilarious, does the pranks. Well, he was in Mama, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Tom, yeah. That's where he started out in gospel plays with Michael Matthews. Okay. Okay. And and the plays were very good, very substantive. Uh, um, so that's where I began to be able to. I was uh, one one of the other people that was in the play was uh, that particular that first play was Ronnie Wilson, you know, from the, the Gap Band, mm -hmm. and he would have incredible artists and people you never heard of. He you know they were he was breaking in new people, okay. but one of the people I, I also met was Shirley Murdoch while we were on tour. As mm. we like. Right. So okay. Y'all had a hit the same year. Both of y'all, you know, came out 86, which was a, a big year for both of you. But anyway, go ahead. Go. I'm sorry. Go All right. So I said, Shirley, I'm a born-again Christian, but I don't know any Christian music, and I, I want to do some, re some recordings. Could you think you could f help me find some? And her, she and her husband, Dale DeGroat, right. wrote... Uh, a lot of the songs that I was able to do back during that time, and we also did a duet called Call Me, which I, I haven't had any marketing for it, or you would hear it more, but I think it's incredible. And some of the songs on, it might be on that same album you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, so. Um, but that was know. my entree into being able to de develop a, a testimony. She said, you know, and she explained to me that when you are born again Christian, um, you don't do your autobiography. You do your testimony. That's the same testimony. thing. Yeah, yeah. She, she explained to me that's that's what the. In other words, I keep getting help. Mm -hmm. You said, how do you keep getting back up? You let, you, you let God is. show you, and you know, help you. He yeah. he pick it back up. That's what happens. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah. So look, I, you know, Melba, I read this article. This is a while back. And it said like around the time, I'm going to go back for a second. Um, it said, uh, it read at around the time that you did Pearly, you know, you didn't know that for up, and, up until that moment that you were uh, going through depression. So, right. so talk, talk about that because, you know, 
You've overcame a lot more than a lot of people know about. Well, I didn't know that I was born in depression. I don't mean the depression, but my own depression. No, no. I'll hold on time. I hope it did not come off that way. I hope that's not what I said. I clearly, no, clearly was not my intention. And I don't think it was. I think you're messing with me again. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. no. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the broken childhood and all that. Yeah. I was a depressed person. I just didn't know it. That's what I meant. That's what I meant, just for the record. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I ain't messing with you, Mel. So talk, but, but but seriously, talk about that a little bit. You know, why, why, how did you realize that? You know, Well, I was standing on the stage in Pearly, trying to figure out how that works. And uh, I had done the role enough so that I could observe some things that are going around, not just focus on, oh, I gotta get this line, I gotta do that, where am I going, da, 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 no. I was familiar with the place, so I was looking out at the audience and seeing them look at me. And I said, oh, they're waiting for me to do what I'm gonna do. Then I realized, oh, this is a comedy. So we could be happy on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> we could choose this, because I guess when I get off stage and I forget that I'm not playing, I'll slip back into the depression. And that was the, be the beginning of me saying, well, wait a minute, let me see if I could take this off stage when I'm not acting or something. And along the way, I got uh, psychiatric help and I had some sessions you know, with, with different people that would help me talk out what had happened in my past. And, and I also realized that <clears throat> besides, I didn't, what I didn't tell you is, I know I love to play the piano and I'm singing, but I also, my, my mother gave me dance lessons when I was about five years old and I always loved athletics and I, I'm, I'm no good at athletics, but it makes me sing real good. Okay. <laughs> athletics make you sing real good. Yeah, you breathe hard. You get strong, yeah. Cardio. And, yes, absolutely. Lung, lung capacity. Absolutely, that's, that's where it comes from for me. And it wasn't there before and, and keep doing that and all the other things I did, eventually that, that big old note came out there. So that's was part of the process. But what I also realized, um, I used to take dances at uh, Clark Center and a lot of the Alvin Ailey dancers mm. taught there. And I would notice um, every time after I came out of a dance class, I felt good. Many, many years later, Someone said that that's called endorphins. And, that there's yeah. an actual, actual chemical in your, in your brain hormone released by movement, mm -hmm. especially very strong, uh, like you said, cardio movement. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. through all of these things, gradually, gradually, I, I've gotten well. <laughs> no doubt, I, I, I get it. I get it. So, so look, here we are. You know, it's 2021. You know, I follow you on social media. I've been following you for like probably the past six months. And, you know, there's a lot of different things going on as far as uh, uh, social media, things like that, the Internet. Um, but uh, also we have a lot of new artists and uh, we have a new sound as far as music. So what what's your take on uh, rhythm and blues and, and what's your take on the whole uh, technology uh, mm. as far as like social media? I think it's amazing, and it's it's um, 
it's getting di more diverse in terms of what it accommodates and it's instantly global. And I, I think once again, because we people, I won't say you people, <laughs> got, <laughs> got quarantined and shut off and shut down. Yeah. It's exploding in all yeah. kinds of ways. I'm not gonna try to keep up with it. I'm, I get help with the, the social media, but I think it's absolutely fabulous. And um, we have all kinds of new, new ways of expressing all kinds of things and all kinds of people, not just us, but we finna bust out for real. Everybody, right. yeah. That's right, I know that's right. You, you, you've seen a lot in your, in your years in this, in this, in this, in this industry. Um, what are you most proud of, you know? As far as your career. Well, I tell you I'm a Christian, so I take his word seriously. So I'm not keen on the word proud. Grateful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I know we don't want to speak necessarily in religious terms, but that's no, okay. It's all right. <laughs> Go we, ahead. We, I mean, we can say proud. I don't. I don't want to 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 limit your expression. Um, I, I'm grateful that, especially with the difficulties that I've had, out of it has come some things that have stood on their own. You're talking about a recording career. It's the standing there now. You know what that means? It means I got a life. <laughs> you still sound amazing, too. I got to add that. You still and, get and, these and that, But that <laughs> means you keep working at it. So you keep taking care of it. You know, you, and that's what life is, I think. Mm. Mm. You, you know, it, it doesn't require the same thing it did as when, when I first started out. My body's different. I have to figure out what it takes now. You know, I'm a senior citizen. And I'm grateful, not proud, grateful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. But, well, look, it's been a pleasure having you on the Bridging the Generation podcast. I mean, again, we this is a moment for me. This is a moment for the culture. Mm -hmm. um, do you have anything? What are you, what are you working now? Because anything that you're doing now is just a bonus. You've already established right. your legacy. Right. It's just a bonus. It's the what they call the icing on the cake or whatever. No, so, you just captured my attitude. <laughs> so, so I right now you can just you can just relax. You're good. But if you do have what what are you working on? What inspires you to keep uh, 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 contributing to the culture, so to speak? Actually, I'm in the studio working on a new album. Okay, I've completed one song and I'm working on the next one. Getting ready to 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 book it as soon as I can. <clears throat> so learning new music, um, um, you, in, a, in a way, maybe it's, it's, it's my walk. I can't be the same person, and yet I am the same person. You have to be what God calls a new creature. And some of these songs require me to, I can tell that for me, but they don't sound like me. <laughs> but see, I didn't know just doing me sounded like me. Right, right, right. So wow. I'm I'm on a new expedition exploration. It's see, the same this, one. See this, <laughs> see this is this is what's this is what you know is very interesting about you for you to be so accomplished. And again, when we think of the, I, I know you probably don't want you you probably don't like this term, but you know a lot of people refer to you as a diva. You know because you. Oh no, you, that's okay. I th I think okay. that. 
I, I think, I, I mean, I don't know if I call myself a diva because that sometimes means temperamental or something. Right, I, right, right. I, I don't think they mean that. Right, right. And and, and and I don't look at it like that, but some no. people say, you know, it, it can have a negative connotation, but I look at the positive connotation. No, I, I receive that. I, I appreciate it. And I think that this extra time with icing on the cake gets me a chance to kind of grow into that, you know? I know that's right. So, so, but that's the thing. That's the thing. Like, how, 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 go ahead. I'm, 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 I'm finna be the cute diva. <laughs> The nice, the the the, uh, the nice diva. <laughs> okay, you, I, I know that's right. So, what, I mean, I know you talk about your faith. You talk about you know, but but what makes you so grounded? How do you stay so grounded? You know, through all the things that you have accomplished, all the things that you've you know you've persevered through. You know, I think hard times and knowing that um, <clears throat> you're so vulnerable. And really terrible things. Like for instance, now if you're not really careful, you could walk outside and lose your life with this virus. You have to think. Yeah. And I, I don't think God does that to us, but He allows that to happen so we can, if we choose to choose, right. uh, go to Him. Um, I mean, He created all this, and, and let Him show us how it works, so that you can keep yeah. not only surviving but thriving. That's what He yeah. wants for us. Yeah. I wish I wish I had my shoulder this thing now. You should see my muscles up here from trying. <laughs> I see. I, I follow you on Instagram. Oh, oh, okay. No. <laughs> you look good. Like, yeah. But, I mean, I'm, because, not, I'm not gonna say your age, but you look amazing. I'll just say you. that. I'll well, just, just say that. You have to work at it, and of course, if you don't. You motivated me just looking at you. You motivated me. <laughs> I'm like, when I finish this interview, I'm about to go ahead to the. Go downstairs. Please breathe hard. Right, you know? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and eat right because eating is a type of communion. It's a type, and you know what communion is, right? With uh, the, the Catholicism religion, I know that's part of. No, it. no. Yeah. I'm gonna you, <laughs> I mean, no, 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 no. Well, no, it's, well, it's the church, you know, the, uh, no, Christ it's, and it's, things. It's, like that. Yes, it's every yeah. it's every Christian's knowledge of what communion is. It right. is the literal body and blood of, of Christ. Christ. Yeah, that's yeah. your fault. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He said, he said that's your fault. Yeah. That's your food. No, your food. Okay, your food. I'm serious. Yeah. That is your yeah. food. So yeah. if you think about things like that and you're yeah. serious about it, you'll find out what you should be eating. You won't go out and eat fat back in <laughs> what well, what they say they say they say you are what you eat. But you are. I want to be, I hope, you know, good diva. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, you, 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 you look amazing. You sound Thank amazing. You. It's been an honor having you here on the Bridging the Generation podcast. But I, I'm, if you can only see the joy that I have in the inside right now, and I'm, I'm ready, oh. to just, ready to explode. Like, this is, this is a moment me being a lifelong fan of your work, I could go through albums, songs, but we'd be here like three, four hours. And uh, I'm not, not going to do that. So thank you so much for your time, uh, Melba. Uh, again, Bridging the Generation podcast. I'm your host, Malaka Reef. We got the one and only, the beautiful, the lovely Miss Melba Moore. We signing out. Have a good night. Thank you so much. Bless you. All right. Take care. All right.